Welcome to Connection Church's podcast. This week, we started a two-week-long series entitled, This Is Our God. So often, when we first meet somebody, we don't give them a fair chance, but immediately hold preconceived notions about them. How many of us do the same thing to God? How would our view of the Creator of the heavens and the earth change if we really got to know Him? For those of you who are a part of that last week, um, the church going mobile, taking the gospel of Christ out into the community uh, through acts of service, thank you so much. Um, We actually mobilized about 225 to 230 people total. Um, Pretty good estimate there. It was absolutely incredible. We put a couple of roofs on. We built three wheelchair ramps. It was an incredible day, an awesome time. Um, People's lives were touched. I think we were probably blessed the most as usual when we went out and did things for folks. But it was was a a great time. Um, And I want to encourage you to continue to go and continue to do those kinds of things. We'll do them again as a church. But listen, the evangelism and, and sharing the love of Christ doesn't have to be organized by the church. You can do that every day through your life. And so I want to encourage you with that. Um, where we're going now is we're going to spend a couple of weeks looking at who God is. This is uh, who is our God. This is our God. And because who's the God that you're carrying out into the world? Um, and we want to share that with you. Um, we're going to do that today. And, and I'll give you a chance to find this book. It's the book of Hosea. Um, it's probably not your favorite book of the Bible. If somebody asked you what's your favorite book of the Bible, you might, might not say the book of Hosea. I love it. But it is an incredible book. And I, we're going to look at the first three chapters of that book today. And I believe that if we can get a clear picture, and my heart and my prayer today is that we would get a clear picture of the God of Hosea's, Hosea chapters 1 through 3. Because if we can see this God, the God of Hosea, the God of the Bible, for who he really is, there is no way in our right mind that we would not serve him. And so we're going to begin looking at that. And my prayer is that, that as Ephesians says, that we would be able to make this mystery plain. Because if we can see this, we'll want to serve this God. And so I want to read to you um, Hosea chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. And then we're going to jump in and we'll be looking at different portions of Scripture in the first three chapters of this book. Hosea chapter 1, verse 2 says this. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, take yourself an adulteress. Sometimes that's translated a harlot or a prostitute. Go, take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of the blame, and she conceived and bore him a son. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love for us. God, I do pray that you would open our eyes by the working of your spirit, that we could see who you are, see who you are clearly. God, I pray that you would anoint this word to sink deep into our hearts. I pray that we would open our hearts, that it would find good soil, that it could begin to grow and produce fruit in our lives. God, right now, I just bind every spirit of hell that would come against this service, against your word. And we ask you to have your way here right now. In the mighty and awesome name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever been um, in a place or, or you bumped into somebody and you didn't really know somebody, but you just didn't like them? You maybe have never even talked to them, right? But you just didn't like just the way they look. Like you looked at somebody and you're like, I don't know them, I, but I don't like them. 
Well, why don't you like them? I don't know. There's just something about them I don't like. Have anybody ever done it? I imagine that all of us, or there's somebody you just look at and you're like, I don't like them. Why not? I don't like their hair. There's just something about it. No, I couldn't get along. And you don't even really give them a chance. You just don't like them. And, and we all do that sometimes, right? Um, have you ever realized that you were the person that nobody liked just because they looked at you. That, that's the bigger and, and the worst revelation, right, um, that, that you have is when you realize I am that person. Well, I had that revelation a few years ago when we moved to Statesboro, Georgia in 1985, I believe it was. Um, I couldn't find any friends, right? And everybody, you know, go, oh, you know, poor me. But I couldn't find anybody that liked me, really. Um, and I don't know if it had anything to do with, like, the rat tail I had growing on the back of my hair and, or not. But see, here's the deal. Some of y'all, you would judge me on that, and, and you shouldn't because it was the 80s, and we did a bunch of stupid things, right? But I had this little rat tail thing, and people would look at me, and they were like, I don't want to do that guy. Look at that guy. Look at that idiot, you know? And, and people come up and try to cut it off, and, and, I was, and which would have been doing me a favor, but, but, they, but they wouldn't. They wouldn't give me a chance. Um, and I thought about that this week and thinking about how we come to God, and I think a lot of times we do the same thing with God. And maybe we don't even realize it. Subconsciously, we have this perception of God. We have this understanding of God that has been built upon what other people have told us, that has been built upon um, what we see in other people who call themselves Christians. And so sometimes we don't give God a chance because of the perception and the way we view him. So that we look at God and what we think he is and who we think he is and we say, I just don't think I want anything to do with that. Because here's the truth. If we can unveil the God of the Bible, if we can unveil the, the true nature of the God of the universe, there's no way anyone in this room right now would say, I don't want to know him. Amen. There's no way. And so we're going to be looking at this in um, Hosea and looking at how God through Hosea began to show his unbelievable grace. I mean, if you're going to preach a couple of weeks on who God is, it's kind of crazy to think that you would go to one of the minor prophets that probably most of us in here have never read. But this is such a beautiful picture of who God is. And in verses 2 and 3, we see that God tells Hosea, the prophet, to go and find a harlot. Go and marry a harlot because this is what my people have been to me. They have literally prostituted themselves. They have been unfaithful to me. And I want you to go and, and, and find Gomer. And I want you to bring her in as your wife. Even though... She's been unfaithful. And we're going to begin looking at this, and we're going to begin to see the amazing grace of God. Now, I want you to hang with me until the end, because it might get a little rough before we get to the end and we see the mercy and grace of God, okay? But here's the deal. If we don't realize how bad we need the mercy and grace of God, then we can't appreciate the mercy and grace of God. Would you agree with that? The other day, um, on Monday, man, last week, it was a blur. I could tell you all about it, but we were getting ready for the thing we did last Sunday where we went out in the community, and we were preparing all these projects. I actually had to revert back to my former life of not of, like, drinking and doing all that stuff, but of doing roofing work. Um, and so I had to revert back, and I had to go and um, do some roofing, and then I had a wedding um, out of town. I went and did the wedding, got back late Saturday night, got up early the next morning, went and worked all day long. It was an incredible week. It was really awesome, but just wore me out. Monday morning, I get up, and, and my beautiful, wonderful wife, Susan, who's sitting here, hopefully giving me brownie points, um, 
says to me, she says, you know, don't forget now at 2.30, you've got a dentist appointment. And she does have to treat me like sometimes like she's my mother um, to remind me of my appointments and things like that. But she said, don't forget you got, and I was like, great dentist appointment. How many of you love to go to the dentist? You wake up and like you go to the dentist and you're like, I cannot wait for the next six months to go by because I can't believe it. She just raised her hand. I can't, but I had to go to the dentist. Um, I didn't do anything different over the last six months. So this is really unexplainable and it's really gross, but I went and all I can say really is that the lady cleaning my teeth kept apologizing. She's like, I'm sorry. And it's like, I'm like, and she's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I'm like, and I'm like, okay. And and they always try to carry on the conversation. Like, so how are the kids? You can't really talk. And so she's scraping and cleaning and then, and then, and then she starts getting on to me. She's like, you got to do a better job, Floss. I'm like, I hadn't done anything different. Why is this so bad this time? She's like, you got to do a better job. And then they always save the worst for last because they have that little thing around your neck. And then they're always like, rinse. And then you look and you say, oh, God, you know, you got that thing. And so you're like, can't you move that somewhere else? And, and so she's like showing me how to floss. And she's got a little mirror in front of me. And she's like, no, you wrap it around. I'm like, I know how to do this, you know. And so she's going through all this stuff. Well, then the dentist comes in and he comes and looks at me and he's like, wow, we finally found something that Brandon's not perfect at. And I looked at him, I was like, perfect? Are you serious? Perfect? And I was like, if you, want to, if you think I'm perfect, you need to go talk to my wife, right? I know he wasn't saying that as in absolutely perfect, but I was like, wow, this guy has no clue to what's really on the inside of me, right? He has no clue to the thoughts and the things that go through my mind. He has no clue of the, the darkness that I'm capable of if he thinks that a little tartar on my teeth is the worst thing I got going on right? And so, I mean, listen, and, and I thought about that. I was like, you know, that's, that's true for all of us, that there are things in our life that aren't perfect. In fact, if you're perfect, you might as well leave now because this is not going to do you any good. But the truth of the matter is every one of us in here screwed up somehow, some of you more than others. And it's really, I'm just kidding, but we are. We've all got our imperfections. We've all got things that we've done wrong. And God comes through Hosea. See, he had sent Amos to preach this message. And he's like, okay, they didn't get it. So now I'm going to have Hosea live a message. And so he says, go get this adulterous woman, this prostitute. And, and, and she's going to be your wife. And you're going to have children with her. And the crazy thing is, she went back out into prostitution after he brought her in. Is that not amazing? But the thing that we've got to see, people, is that, listen, we have all prostituted ourselves to something. There's not one person in here who has not prostituted themselves to something other than God in some, some way. In fact, if we walk in here today and the veil was lifted and we, we, we quit hiding behind like nice clothes and we quit hiding behind um, you know, this false facade, the church would be really a spiritual brothel if you want to get down to it because that's where we've been. We have all prostituted ourselves to something. There's not one person in here who's not, don't you call me a prostitute. It's the truth. I didn't say it, God did. I didn't say it, God did. And so we're all in the same boat. And see, as Christians, and we're going to look at this in a couple of weeks again, but as Christians, we like to classify that, right? Well, I'm not as bad as they are. I didn't do that. At least I don't do that. God says, I don't really care. You're all prostitutes. You've all been unfaithful. You've all done things that are not right. And we come in on Sunday morning, and, and for too many people, it's honestly, and, and this, some of the language in this is going to sound a little rough around the edges, but I'm not going to cuss, I promise, okay? Um, but 
for a lot of people, Sunday morning for the hour and 15 minutes or so that we meet, it's kind of like a spiritual one night stand. If you want to get down to it, we come in because we've got needs and we, we have this encounter and we, we, we flirt with God a little bit. We have a little time with God, but then we go out and we end up in the same place again the next day right? Because we don't have a relationship in this thing. All it is, is we just come in to hopefully get our needs met for a little while. And then we go back out and do the same thing that we've been doing all along. We don't have a relationship with God. We don't talk to him through the week. We don't stay connected. This is not a time when we just come in and praise God for who he is and what he's done and who he is for us and and who we can be for him. It's a time when we come in with just like the rest of our culture for a selfish motivation. And it becomes like a spiritual one hour stand. Well, we just come in for a minute and we leave and nothing ever really changes because there's no relationship there. We've all got things in our life and places in our life that we have turned away from God and his mercy and his grace and his love. Not one of us in here is any different. If that were not so, then the Bible would be a lie and the verse that everyone loves to quote, the Romans 3.23, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God would not be true, but it is true because we've all been unfaithful in our own way. And, and most of us many, many times over. And so we see that we are very much like Gomer and that we have been unfaithful. We see that we are very much like the nation of Israel that God was trying to give this message to, that we have been unfaithful just as they were. And we have turned our back on God. One of the biggest lies in the church today is that our prostitution, our unfaithfulness to God, it only affects us. That's one of the biggest lies that we could ever see, that we could ever be a part of because it affects everybody around us. And, and, and this is, I, I struggle with whether or not to put this into this message or not, but I just felt so strongly about it that we need to talk about this. Listen to me, people. The things you put into your body, the things that you do with your body, the things you allow in your eyes, the things that you put in your mouth, the things that you allow your hands to touch, those things don't just affect you. Your prostituted life affects everybody. Your unfaithfulness affects everybody around you. Some of you are too young in here today to have children. One day you will have children who will look up to you. And the things that you do, the example that you set, will make a difference. Some of you have have friends who look up to you, people that work for you who look up to you. And the example that you set is what they're going to remember. Listen, we love to talk about things, but the things that are really important in life, we do. We don't talk about, right? That's why we had to go out and and do what we did last week because when when something's really important to us, we don't talk about it, we do it. And so if if, if we're really bothered by the things in our life that that are unfaithful to God, then we need to begin to do something about it and not just talk about it and act as though it really does matter. Look at Hosea chapter two now. Verse 10, because here's the fact, Hosea was a prostitute, he he goes, he marries her, he brings her back in, and she goes out again. Listen to what God says in verse 10 of chapter 2, he says, so now I will expose her lewdness before the eyes of her lovers. No one will take her out of my hands. Listen, you begin to see the intent of God. But the amazing thing about this is is that God says, listen, you can walk away, you can turn away, but there's going to come a time when your lewdness is exposed. If you literally translate that, it, it, it literally means that her wasted state or her withered state is going to be exposed. Anytime we walk away from God, it may take a while to manifest itself. It may take a while to show up. But every time we walk away from God, we will end up in a withered state. 
we can't survive without him. We can't survive without that relationship. And for some of us, it takes years and years. It took me years to grab a hold of that. And, and for some of you, it took years and years and years even more to grab a hold of that. But we've got to realize that we will end up in that state. How many of you have ever watched a friend or a loved one go down the drain and they wouldn't do anything about it? It was as obvious as it could be. They were making bad choices. They were going the wrong direction. They kept doing things that you knew was going to bring them to their end and they wouldn't do anything about it. And we so much fit into that same boat, that same mold, that we end up walking away from God and we get to a point where we're in a withered state and the only choice is to come back. And yet God says right here, he says, I'm going to show this to her. I'm going to show this to Israel. I'm going to show this to my people, which are you and I, the ones that he loves, which is everybody in this room. I'm going to show this to her, that she would come back to me, that she would begin to come back to me. And see, here's the thing. We sang a couple of songs this morning that talked about God being jealous for us. We begin to see that right here. I mean, I can read this and I can see God being so jealous for you and I that he says, no one is going to take them out of my hand. No one can have them. I'm not giving them up. How many of you have a little problem with jealousy? Anybody? We had a lot of jealous people in the room at the first service. Yeah, I do too. Like when Susan and I were dating in high school, I wanted to kill every boy that looked at her. And, and, and I, seriously, and, and if I found out a guy was interested in her, I would just like, especially the best place to do it was the lunchroom because it was wide open. You could find him. You could make eye contact. And it was, I thought I was like 10 foot tall, I guess, because I'd just sit there and stare. I'd be like, uh-uh. That's my girl. Don't be messing with my woman. And, and you know, you can sit there and you kind of can get your arms right where if you push up on your muscle like that, it looks bigger. <laughs> and so I just sit there and stare them down, cock my jaw to the side a little bit, grip, you know, kind of do my fists like this and try to scare them because I was angry. I was jealous because somebody was trying to move in on my woman. And, and you know what the funny thing is? All these years later, um, like 21 years or something that we've been together total, um, that we've been together total. And um, I'm still jealous for her. I still get mad whenever I think somebody says something that they shouldn't have to my wife. And I'll start pouting about it too. I'll be like, tell my wife like that. Where's my wife? And I'll get all upset and angry. And, and, and so then I'll stare them down. Still to this day, I'll, I'll put my muscle up. Don't be messing with my wife. That's my woman. And I might not look like much, but you don't want me on you. Because I will pack something that will get the job done. Because, man, I love my wife. I'm not letting somebody have her. And I'll have a dream sometimes that somebody messes with my wife. I'm, I wake up, I'm in a cold sweat. I'm like, where they at? I'm going to kill them. Because I love my wife. And we start to see that this is how God is for us. And see, some of us have a hard time receiving this because we've been walking away from God for a long time. And maybe we've even been playing church for a long time. And maybe we've been playing this, this game of religion that's so, so common in our culture for a long time. And yet God is coming after us passionately, pursuing us, saying, I love you. It even goes on in, in verse 14. He says, listen to what I'm going to do. Therefore, now I'm going to allure her. Basically, I'm going to start courting her. I'm going to begin to woo her like she's a virgin, like she's never done anything wrong, like she's never been a prostitute. And I'm going to lead her out to a secret place, out into the desert, and I'm going to speak tenderly to her. In other words, I'm going to whisper in her ears all the things she wants to hear. Come on, guys. You know you did that when you were dating your, your, your wife or your girlfriend. Guys, and some of y'all are doing it now. 
If some of the things you say and write notes to, you're like, God, please don't let people find out about this. Because you'd be so embarrassed. And God says, I'm going to woo her back to me. Even though she's been unfaithful, even though she's gone her own way, I'm going to bring her back to me. No one is going to have my bride. Is it not funny that God makes the, the correlation between Jesus Christ and his bride, the church? Is that not interesting? And here we see God clearly going after a bride who has been unfaithful to him. And so we, it is so amazing that God continually goes after us. But here's the truth of the matter. He will let you walk away. He can't make you choose him. He will come after you, but you have to choose him. I remember when I was growing up a teenager. I know none of you ever fought with your parents when you were teenagers, um, but I did. And I remember my dad and I got in a fight one night, and I don't remember what it was about, probably something that I wanted to do that was really stupid and dangerous, and he wouldn't let me, so I got mad, and I was like, you're unfair, you don't, I don't like you, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so I remember I thought I would trump that with one thing that I knew he, it would just tear him apart. I said, well, I'll just leave then. Anybody ever tried that one? Yeah, that don't work good at my house. That don't work so good. I said, I'll just leave then. And I remember he was like, <laughs> and I could always tell when I pushed it too far because my dad's jaw would kind of cocked to the side like this. And he'd get this look in his eyes and it was always kind of creepy because they would go like almost transparent. <laughs> and I'd be like, man, I'm done. I'd be, I'm just like done. I just need to run out in the road and get hit by a car, or do something because I'm done. And I remember him saying, son, if you ever threaten to leave again, don't let the door hit you in the butt on the way out. I was like, wow, that didn't go the way I thought it was going to go. <laughs> and I learned a lesson, though. If, 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 if I was going to go, go. But don't threaten me with that. And here's the thing with God. God, he'll let us walk away. He can extend the hand of grace, but it's got to be our choice to receive it. It's got to be our choice to accept the grace that he offers. But so many times our lives are lived in such a destructive way such a destructive way that we, we don't even see the hand of God. And my prayer is that today that for some of you, maybe your eyes are open to see the pattern of your life and to see that you are running away from the one who loves you the most. You're running away from the one who has come after you and you've been, been, been bucking God for a long time. I remember um, when I was about 17 years old, um, a friend of mine had a couple of horses. Um, I'd never really ridden a horse by myself. These horses hadn't been ridden for a long time. She wanted the horses to be broke where she could ride them. And somehow I thought I'm the man for the job. Never ridden a horse really before in my life. So I go out and I get on this horse and we get the saddle and everything right. I guess it was right. I really didn't know. Um, I get on the horse and the horse just kind of walks out into the pasture. And we're out there kind of, yeah, yeah. You know, just I, all I knew was like kind of what John Wayne used to do on the movie. I didn't really know how to ride a horse. And so we couldn't get this horse to move. He's just standing there. He's just doing his own little thing. And, and, and finally, I had a great idea. I said, hey, do you have any spurs? And she said, yeah, I do have some spurs. And so she goes and gets these spurs that I could put on the back of my boots. And I thought, well, this will be awesome. Now this horse will obey me. 
And so I spurred the horse, and the horse kind of began to walk. And I was like, now we're getting somewhere. I told you, big boy, I would win. And so we're riding along, and so I kick him one more time. And we kind of get going at a little trot. And then I'm like, this is just right on, man. Kick him one more time. We start galloping along pretty good. The only problem was I'd never ridden a horse. I didn't understand that if you didn't do something with your feet, you just kept spurring the horse over and over again, right? Because we're riding, and I'm just kicking that thing. And finally, I, the horse just had enough. And he just finally stops, and he, he's just throwing, brr, brr. he's just jumping up and down, trying to throw me all over the place. And so I just let go of everything, grab hold of the saddle horn, and I'm trying to ride this thing, man. And he's just bucking. I feel like I'm in a rodeo. And finally, I look up, and he's headed straight towards a fence with all these trees around. And I'm like, he's about to try to get me off of this horse. And so he, he's off of his back. And so I just finally jump off. As we're getting close to the fence, I just jump off. There were about five of my buddies out there watching. I was like, well, maybe they'll come help me up. You know, I was like all crumpled up on the ground. I look over there. They're on the ground laughing at me. <laughs> and, and, and I realized, man, I'm ne- I, I don't know that I've been on a horse again, maybe once, because Susan talked me into it on our honeymoon. Um, but that was like the only time or anniversary or something like that. Sorry, honey, I don't have a clear recollection of that. Um, but, but... That horse went absolutely nuts. And you know, for some of us, our life is that way, that we've been spurring this thing. We've been headed in the wrong direction so far. And at some point, one of those limbs at that fence is going to clip us and take us slap off the back of the horse. And we need to realize that God is extending a hand of grace and his hand of mercy to save us from that, to give us an opportunity to know him, to give us an opportunity. Listen to this. This is what he gives us an opportunity for. Hosea chapter two, verse 15. He says, after I've spoken all these things to her, after she's come back to me, there I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Accor a door of hope. There she will sing as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt. Two things there. One of them that he says is, I'm gonna make the valley of Accor a doorway of hope. Now that to us doesn't mean much, but to the Israelites, this is what it meant. In the book of Joshua chapter seven, there was a man named Achan who ended up getting stoned to death. They took him out to the valley of Accor and they stoned him because he was an idolater. He had, he had taken some of the, the false gods of the area and brought them into the camp and the Israelites were defeated in a battle that they should have won easily. But God allowed them to be defeated because they had turned, this one man had turned his back from God. And they took him out and they stoned him in the valley of Accor. So the valley of Accor was a place that the Israelites would have known this is a place of trouble. And he says, but I'm gonna take the valley of Accor and I am going to make it a place of hope for you in your life. See, listen, God can take the mistakes you made God can take the tough place you're in right now and he can turn it around because of what he did through Christ, because of Christ and the power of the spirit of God that works in you, it can actually be a doorway of hope. Some of you have been through things you didn't know why you went through things. You've been through hard times and listen to me, God can take those difficult times and those tribulations and turn them into a testimony. They can become a doorway of hope for you. They can become a doorway of hope for someone else that is going through the same thing you are going through. But this is what God does when we turn our lives back to him. We quit being unfaithful. We quit living as prostitutes to the holy and living God. And we turn ourselves back to him. That is what he does. He goes on in that and he says, and there she will sing. She will sing as in the days 
of her youth. Can you imagine what this lady had been through? Can you imagine what she may have even looked like? She had given all of her life trying to find herself, um, trying to find um, the things that she thought would make her happy, the grain, the new wine, the linen, all these things that these men were giving her, and yet she was never fulfilled. But can you think of the hard life that she had lived and what she must have looked like? And yet God comes and he says, I am going to make her sing as in the days of her youth. What would her youth have been? But purity and innocence. He says, I'm going to give back to her a renewed life. I'm going to take this crusty, dirty life that she's lived and I'm going to give it back to her. That's what God does. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that in Christ we're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Some of us in here have made some terrible mistakes. How many of you in this room right now would like to have a redo on something? You remember when you were little and you might have been playing kickball or something like that and you kicked the ball and it went up and it hit a power line and everybody's like, redo, redo, you know? How many of you would like to have that, right? In your life, you'd like to have a redo. There are things in your life you would like to have a redo. Well, you can't go back and relive those things, but God says, I can come in and I can make all things new for you. Even the things in your life where it's been impure. God says, I, through Christ, will make them new for you. This is an incredible promise to those who come back to him, to those who turn their hearts to him. This is what God does for us. Listen to this. Hosea chapter three. Read to you verses one and two. It says, the Lord said to me, go. This is Hosea again, God speaking to Hosea. The Lord said to me, go. Show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethek of barley. Listen, this is absolute. These are two amazing verses in the Bible. In the whole Bible, these are two of the most amazing verses to me. Because can you imagine? Here she is. She has run out again. She's out prostituting herself again. And God looks at Hosea and says, now go get your bride. Any guys up for that? No. Go get her. But I can almost picture this in my mind with Jesus and God the Father in heaven. The bride, the Israelites, his people have been adulterous. They've been unfaithful. They have literally prostituted themselves to other things. And God looks at Jesus and they're in heaven and he says, go get your bride. They have been unfaithful. They don't deserve it. But no one's taking them out of my hand. Now go get your bride. See, we can't fathom that. We can't grasp that kind of God because here's the truth of the matter. And you got to hear this. None of us in here deserve that. Not one. And if you think you do, then you're the most pitied of all because none of us deserve that kind of love and that kind of grace from a God who is perfect and holy. And yet he extends his hand to us. He extends his grace and his mercy to us. He puts upon us through Christ his righteousness. That is amazing. That is absolutely amazing. And listen to this. Verse 2 of that same chapter, chapter 3 says, So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethek of barley. Let me put this in language for us today. He went and bought his wife back from a pimp. 
That is basically what he did. He went and he purchased her back from the men that she had sold herself to. Now think about this. Think about this. What did Jesus do for us? What did Christ do for us? He came to a bunch of people who were unfaithful, unworthy, and undeserving. And he paid the greatest possible price he could ever pay. He gave his own life. The only one who didn't deserve to die, died because he chose to for you and I. So that he came and he purchased us back from sin and death. He purchased us back from the hand of the devil. This is the most awesome picture of God that you could ever possibly imagine. If we can get this in our head and understand it on the first hand, we don't deserve it. But on the second hand, he has given it so freely to us to have. Listen, a few months ago, I guess it was two or three months ago now, um, my, I had my, my truck that I'd had since I'd been doing roofing had, had begun to have some troubles. And so um, speedometer didn't work, air conditioner, not, it was just a bunch of things that were, that were going wrong with it. And so had an opportunity to get rid of my truck and to get a good deal on it. And I thought, you know, I'll get another, it wasn't a, a brand new truck, but it was, it was slightly used. And, and, you know, that's usually what I go for um, is like a slightly used truck. And so I was like, man, that's perfect. Um, I went on to the lot with my truck and I said, you know, I'm having some problems with this one. I want to see what I can get um, on a trade-in. And you know how they are. We're like, what up, man? We got your truck in today. I'm like, yeah, I bet you did. And so they, they take you and they're like, man, you gonna, this is your truck, man. I can see you in this truck. You're going to look good in this truck. And, and then, pastor, this is your truck. And so they take me over there and I'm looking at the truck. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. But, but, but anyway, we ended up making the deal, right? And so I got this um, a newer truck. And, but here's the way the thing usually works. Is we walk onto the lot with this, this piece of junk right? Or this thing that's near a piece of junk or this thing that's really not functioning the way that it should. And we walk onto the lot and we say, hey, can I trade this in on something that works, on something new? Can I get something that, that man, the speedometer actually works on? Can, can, I, can, I, can I do that? And so you take your piece of junk and you trade it in and with a little bit of money, you can get something that's, that's better, right? Well, think about what God did for us. Nobody ever walks onto the lot with a brand new car and goes, okay, I want to get rid of this truck. What's wrong with it? It is new. What's the problem? I, no problem. I just want to trade in my brand new truck. Well, which new truck would you, would you like? No, I don't want a new truck. I want that El Camino over there in the corner of the lot over there, the old one, the one with the big dent in the door and the big rust spot on it. Who would do that? And on top of that, I'm going to write you a check for $10,000 just to make sure that the deal's good. Anybody going to take that deal? If you're the salesman, you will, but is anybody going to make that deal? No. But what did God do? He said that which is perfect, that which was without blemish, that was without stain. And he traded it in for something that's just all kind of messed up. Something that had prostituted itself to all kinds of gods, to all kinds of things, something that had been so unfaithful. And he traded in perfection for us. That's an amazing God. That's a good God that would do that for us. To trade in something perfect for something that's just messed up. It's all kind of dysfunctional. And listen to this last verse. 
Verse 3 says, Then I told her, You are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will live with you. Listen, it's the offer of a new life. It's the offer of an opportunity to come back and be faithful. See, the cool thing, and we're going to look at this again in a few weeks too. The cool thing about just being justified by God is not that you are forgiven. It goes beyond forgiven. It means that it is as though it never happened. And God says, even in your unfaithfulness, I'll wipe it away. It'll be as though it never happened and you can come and live with me for many days. And that's the opportunity that we have in Christ. This is our God that is traded in the perfect for the imperfect. And he says, yet when I get you, when I get a hold of your heart, when I begin to put my spirit inside of you, I will begin to transform you and even bring you into my image. And one day we will all stand in the glory of God. Those of us who are in Christ and who receive this opportunity because that's who God is. He's a God that gives us second chances. He's a God who gives us the opportunity to come to know him. It's a God who gives us the opportunity to be righteous even when we're imperfect. And he never quits pursuing us. And that's who our God is. Let's pray.